1: You're listening to this week's free episode. Our second episode each week is just for Slate Plus members. You can sign up for Slate Plus for just $1 for your first month. You'll get every How to Do It podcast without ads. Plus, you'll be able to read every single advice column on Slate with no monthly limits. Join now at slate.com slash plus. That's slate.com slash htdiplus.
0: This podcast contains graphic, explicit, and even sometimes a little bit vulgar discussions of sexuality. Hi, I'm Stoya. I'm a writer and pornographer.
1: And I'm Rich Joswiak. I'm a writer.
0: We're the authors of How to Do It, Slate's sex advice column. This is our new podcast where we answer brand new letters about all your sex and relationship issues twice a week. You can ask us anything about sex, anything. We're here to help.
1: When is the last time that you cried if you're comfortable talking about it?
0: Oh boy, I was shooting something with Steve the other week, maybe even last week. It was so hot in the studio and the air conditioner, once we figured out how to turn it on, was like taking such a long time to get going and then so ineffectual that we thought we were going to have to just cancel the shoot and be like, we got one very sweaty photo set, that's it. Then it cooled off enough for us to function, so we kept going. But towards the end of the day, my nails kept falling off. Mm. And I really wanted to shoot everything we'd planned on, so we're, we're hustling. And I pick up the skirt to like show my vulva, and one nail pops off. And so I take the weight of the skirt with my other hand and all four nails pop off. And I'm just looking at all these nails in the floor and another one pops off. And I start laughing hysterically. And then like crying. (laughs) Um, I'm doing it right now. now. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't
1: mean to make you cry. (laughs) That is not what I meant to do. (laughs) It's just
0: like so slapstick (laughs) and also like completely absurd. Like, what is humanity that I have glued fake nails to my nails (laughs) to stand in front of a camera aggressively showing my vulva? This is absurd and yet I'm so frustrated over it.
1: Yeah. Um, And then to add the added layer of tears onto that just kind of (laughs) finishes it off.
0: When's the last time you cried? I think like
1: a legitimate, like not just, you know, kind of superficial fleeting tearing up was at my friend's wedding. Uh, her mom did one of the speeches and her dad couldn't make it because of mobility issues. Mm. And so she sort of talked about like how much he wanted to be there and, you know, his presence in her life in general and she was crying. And so it was just like a really emotional moment. And it was just like a really moving speech. It was a remarkable wedding in that all of the speeches were wonderful. That one really hit me the hardest. So, but that's that's tough because I was like crying in public, essentially, you know. And yeah, I mean, I'm not on display there. Everybody's looking at her. You can get away with it, but I hate to seem like I would be drawing any attention to myself during that moment at all. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I feel like New York really normalizes crying in public. (laughs) That's true. And I I realized. That New York is different about that when I was crying in public in Belgrade. Yeah. And everyone was concerned. Uh And like, do you need help? Can I do something? Are you okay? Do you need to talk? Like, very nice. Yeah, it Um, sounds nice. But also, like, I just had to have a cry. Everything's okay.
1: Sorry. I'm from New York.
0: Yeah, (laughs) This is what we do. We cry on the subway. (laughs) We cry in the elevator.
1: I do find it like really, uh, I don't know if I want to say transfixing. I don't know. It kind of just becomes this thing that I can't, if I see somebody crying in public, especially on the subway, especially if it's like a woman alone, I just feel a lot of compassion and bad. But I, I, I also feel like I would never want to kind of intervene and be like, are you okay? Because like, mind your own business we're in new york you
0: yeah know? well i feel like you can tell when someone is open right to connecting yes new yorkers are not all leave me alone 100 of the time but you can tell right. when someone's like their heads up they're looking around they're maybe making eye contact
1: yes that's yeah. that's very true and the fact of the matter is that we live on top of each other so you will sometimes be privy to somebody's private moment that is best left private yeah. Anyway, the reason I ask this question is because we have a question about tears and uh, kind of fetishy tears, or, or at least kinky tears.
0: So
1: to have any sense of what I'm talking about, let's hear the actual question.
2: Dear How to Do It, my girlfriend of almost a year and I tend to get into heated arguments. We never disrespect each other, but we are both stubborn and don't back down in moments of disagreement. To be clear, this is not all the time, and I think we both tolerate this habit more than we would otherwise, because it often leads to very hot reconciliation sex. But lately, there has been another twist. My girlfriend has gotten very emotional when we fight. She cries easily and often. I assume this is just normal hormones in a very stressful year, but I have noticed, to my concern that this turns me on even more. I can instantly get hard if she starts getting sniffly, to say nothing of full-on waterworks. I don't think it's her distress that is turning me on, because my impulse is just to fix whatever's wrong, preferably with immediate sex. But I have to say I'm a little concerned by this, and what my girlfriend will think if she realizes what's going on. Is there some innocent explanation for what I'm experiencing? Signed, Bring on the Waterworks.
0: So before we deal with the tears thing, which is fascinating and not a red herring, I want to make sure. So I think we both tolerate this habit more than we would otherwise because it often leads to very hot reconciliation sex. So they're tolerating and engaging in an emotionally charged dynamic that I don't think is necessarily healthy. And I don't think our writer necessarily thinks it's healthy And I think it would be useful to try to figure out what it is that leads to the hot sex. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's raising your voices and speaking with your full body, but not in an argument. Right. Right? Yes. Like, I'm so excited that I love you. I don't know. Like, maybe some part of the reconciliation process is particularly intimacy heightening in a way that contributes to sex. But like if you can figure that out and figure out a different way to access it.
1: Right. That
0: can prevent sliding into a big problem.
1: If, in fact, this is all kind of a catharsis thing, right? I mean, I could see how, like, you know, our dynamic is argumentative and that is not ideal, whatever. But that is like the base fact of our dynamic. And then the sex that comes after is a consequence of that. But what you're suggesting is transforming that energy, taking out the argument and getting to the catharsis yeah, a, like, as the, the main dish, basically.
0: If you're doing it extra because it leads to hot sex, right. Like, try to figure out a less aggressive, fighty yes. way to lead to that hot sex. And, uh-huh. and if
1: you're in a kind of warring dynamic, maybe rethink that dynamic or tackle those problems. Unless like, you're at a stage in your life where you're like, I'm an arguer. That's what I do. That's who I am. That's how every relationship will be. I felt this way when I was younger and then realized that it really didn't have to be that way. I don't have to be fighting with the person I'm with all Some the time. Some people
0: really like to fight. <laughs> do.
1: Like they I'm do. thinking
0: in my family, one yeah. of my grandparents and one of my parents, you know, the the child of that particular grandparent, they were always arguing with each other and that was their way of relating. Yeah. And I replicate that with that parent yeah. Myself. And it's you know, it's a valid but exhausting way of relating.
1: Yeah, yeah. There are more efficient ways, probably, of communicating with people than going through strife all the time.
0: There are less exhausting ways less of exhausting. initiating hot sex.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah,
0: but to the crying, which is fascinating.
1: Yeah, that said, so what our writer is is describing is at least what it sounds like to me is something called decreephilia. Which, as defined in one of the few papers written about it, this is by Richard Greenhill and Mark Griffiths, and the paper is called Compassion, Dominance, Submission, and Curled Lips A Thematic Analysis of Ducrophiliac Experience. Uh, the definition that they provide is that it's a non normative sexual interest that involves enjoyment or arousal from tears and crying, and to date has never been researched empirically. Anyway, they ended up doing a kind of survey of people because there there are online forums about crying, you know, about people who have the sexual interest in crying. And one might assume that it's kind of all dominant submission or that there is kind of a nefarious underpinning to all of this fetish, but instead, or fetish, you know, I say fetish, kink, let's say more broadly, But instead, like everything, there's a kind of spectrum, there's differentiation. People come at this interest from different perspectives as reflected in the title of this paper. And one of the things, in fact, the primary reason that people attribute to this being sexually interesting to them is that compassion aspect. Now, in the paper, it was mostly women or self-identified women who said the compassion is what turns me on. And because my male partner is crying, he's subverting what society says a male should do. And this is what's attractive to me. And you find this repeatedly in literature. That is, in fact, that subverting of expectation that people eroticize so much. I read this case study of a guy with a fart fetish. The the reason he said he liked women doing it is because they weren't supposed to. Yeah, Yeah. and it felt like a secret. It felt like more intimate, you know?
0: Yeah, I'm thinking back on, like, all the requests to, like... Pick my nose. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So they found kind of like three different categories of what's going on with people. One of them is the compassion it ignites. Another is, in fact, dominant submission. And people would say, oh, I like crying as an erotic expression because it will give me more attention from the person that's dominating me, right? It's Mm. another way of like getting that attention and kind of keeping that wheel going. And then there was somebody who just really loved curled lips and it there was no real explanation beyond that just like curled lips or what did it and the compassion set a lot of them were very explicit in the goodness and what set them apart from the dominant submission set. Like, we're doing a good thing. Our crying interest is positive, unlike those other people over there. So there's kind of, like, strife within the crying community. At least, you know, this is a very, very small kind of sample. Again, very few people filled out this survey, et cetera. Or I guess they were interviewed as well.
0: Because <laughs> what's the point of being a group if you can't split exactly. two and judge each other?
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah. Although there is understanding that Decrophilia can be viewed as deriving pleasure from pain, one of the users, the compassion users, places a clear emphasis on the comforting of pain. I do not take pleasure in the pain of others, which presents a contradiction at times. I love that he is crying and trust me enough to do so, but I wish the pain would go away. Comforting is a big part of it for me. This contrasts compassionate interest with an interest in pain itself and displays the way in which these participants seek to ease pain rather than to gain direct pleasure from it.
0: So this line, my impulse is just to fix whatever's wrong, preferably with immediate sex seems like this is our writer having the comforting arousal response.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and and that's why I find it so interesting, because the writer doesn't seem to have any indication that this exists, this phenomenon exists, and yet they fall so decidedly into this one observed camp of people who are into it. So... I think it's we can pretty reasonably say that decryphelia is what this person is experiencing.
0: Yeah. So to directly answer their question, there is some innocent, erotic explanation for what they're experiencing. And to address the part where they express some concern, specifically with the crying, if you want to achieve the same dynamic and specifics without the fighting onions <laughs>
1: yes
0: right yeah, Yes, like there you can get to the tears and if you speak with your girlfriend and tell her what's going on then you have a fellow collaborator most likely yeah who can help you come up with ways to get the tears that turn you on without making her feel terrible
1: yes and just as a side note there's this australian movie called the little death it's vignettes about sex and one of the plots is about docrophilia so if you want to kind of see it illustrated on screen this very funny movie that came out in 2014 called the little death you should check that out so that's my pop culture tip nice yeah
0: families have a lot going on This super-curved phallus.
3: Okay. Dear How to Do It, my husband's penis is on the shorter side, curves upward dramatically, and when aroused, gets very hard. This means we spend a lot of time in missionary position, which isn't a problem for me, since we do plenty of foreplay and oral, and I like missionary just fine. The actual problem is that my husband, who comes from a very conservative religious background that he's been working hard to overcome— Is finally starting to tap into his sexually adventurous side after dealing with a lot of sex hangups in therapy. Yay! But, there's always a but, or I wouldn't be here. He's channeled that adventure into wanting to try a lot of different sex positions. And most of these positions just don't work with his dick. We'll try a new position starting slow, and then he gets into it and starts to go faster. His dick is at a weird angle, it pops out of my pussy and he ends up thrusting hard into my pelvis, and it hurts, which kills the mood. I don't want to discourage him, and I don't want to undermine his fledgling confidence, but this can't continue. Do you have some recommendations for sexual adventures that work with short, very upwardly curved dicks, signed, in a difficult position? You can't do everything.
0: Well, I have a couple of ideas. Okay. So, um... You know those things that you, like, put on the base of the penis for people that are too long?
1: Like the O-nut.
0: Yes, thank you. The O-nut, or maybe two O-nuts, depending on how much length there is between the pelvis and the curve, Mm -hmm. can... Give him something that kind of like forces him to deal with just the curved part.
1: I see, right, right.
0: And so I imagine the O-Nut still gives a sensation of being encircled. Mm-hmm. So it's not like his shaft is just like hanging in the breeze, right. but then he might be able to use the head and the portion. Down to the curve yes. in some more creative ways.
1: Yes. Although this will the owner will further cut the length. Keep that in mind.
0: Yeah. Well. He'll have he'll have a very short penis to work with. Right. A very short segment of a penis. But like our writer has a pussy. A it's, lot of the fun stuff is really in the first couple of inches. Yeah. 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 Or like way in the back right up by the cervix for those who find that fun. I'm right. um, not really one of them. Um, and that's
1: not happening here anyway.
0: No. That's- the other thing is it can be very hard for people with biological phalluses to control themselves Yeah. when their penetration feels good. Yeah. So it might help rather than set him an impossible task for him to lay on the bed and be pretty still, yes. whether that's on his back for cowgirl or on his side mm. for spoon and let her do the actual movement, because I think she'll have an easier time controlling the vigorousness. Yeah.
1: My thing is that, like, yes, he's gaining his confidence, but without knowledge and, like, an understanding of his limitations and attributes, that's just chaos. If he can only get into some positions by fucking her slowly, then that's what he has to do. And he may have this ideal of, like, oh, no, I'm supposed to be slamming. But if it's just not working for you, all of your confidence is kind of misguided. <laughs> You're overly confident at that point. You have to know what you can do.
0: Yeah. It's tricky when cishet dudes start to grow. Yeah. Because on the one hand, there's this deep desire to nurture it. Right. Like it's like, oh my God, this feels like a miracle that it's even happening. And yeah. you know, I want to encourage it. But on the other hand, there's this really awkward period where there's still a disaster. But because it's such an act to begin working on themselves and they're so sensitive about it, it's very difficult to give constructive feedback yes. to improve on the disaster. Yeah. You know, working on yourself is like really a lifelong process. So as gently as possible in the way that he will most be able to hear it might serve our writer well to make it clear to the husband that being hurt doesn't feel good like do a like it's great that you're exploring sexually some of the ways that you're exploring right now are not working for me Mm -hmm. so let's come up with other ways. Yes,
1: because there are so many other ways. I mean, uh, her being in control like you mentioned is is one of them. He has to be aware of his limitations.
0: And like even in pornography, I spent years performing in mainstream porn mostly working with cisgender men and we take turns. Yeah. Right? Like in let's say reverse cowgirl, which is the most popular position because it makes the body look the best. It's also the least comfortable. Um, <laughs> Imagine so, that. <laughs> yeah. So generally speaking in my scenes first, like I get in reverse and I do what I can until my knees are like, oh, no, 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 no. And I would already have my hands braced on the guy's chest and they take their hands and put them kind of on the bottom side of each butt cheek mm-hmm. and they thrust. Right. But no matter how much experience, no matter how much sex you've had, both people thrusting at the same time is a very high chance of someone getting hurt. Yes. Yeah.
1: And no matter how much you want to do that, that's a perfect example of you know, all the will in the world not making for a well-oiled process. So the human body has its limits. Uh, Some people have a more difficult hand dealt to them. At the same time, he has to kind of like understand his humanity.
0: And, you know, as far as specific positions, really, if it curves upward, missionary is going to do all kinds of great things to the fun stuff in the front wall of the vagina. Yeah. Yeah. Doggy is going to press on your rectum from the inside, which can feel really uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. but also for some people is really cool. So it's definitely worth a try. I would suggest evacuate your bowels shortly before. So you're not worried the whole time about pooping everywhere. No need to like enema or anything though. And... It's worth trying fully on the side positions and those sort of like three quarter profile spoon positions on both sides because they might enjoy stimulation on the sides of the vaginal canal or it might be boring to them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: If it's boring, it might be painful, but it also might be like boring, but tolerable, which would give the husband some variety. Yes. And they or their husband can stimulate their clitoris to make it fun for them.
1: When you present it like this, it seems like they have a lot of options and that actually getting this right is its own kind of fun process. So enjoy it while you feel it out. Okay, that's all for now, but we're not done this week. On this week's second episode, exclusively for Slate Plus members, we hear from a letter writer who thinks she's got a solution for her and her husband's mismatched libidos. We'll debate whether it's a good one. So you think that they are tourists, in other words?
0: Oh gosh, yes.
1: To hear that episode, sign up for Slate Plus for just $1 at slate.com slash
0: if you're in need of sex advice from Rich and me, you can write to It at slate.com slash it, Or you can leave us a voicemail at 347-640-4025, and we may use it on the show. That's 347-640-4025 and slate.com slash it. Remember, this is anonymous, and nothing is too small or embarrassing.
1: Our show is produced by Chow 2. How to Do It's editor is Jeffrey Bloomer. Our letter readers are Shasha Leonard and Benjamin Frisch. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
2: A laundry? Ooh, a book club.
3: Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.